Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Take Six podcast. I am your host, Hunter Surplus, and this is our very first episode of the Raptors Only podcast. Today's episode, we have a very special guest to come on. I'm not going to ruin that surprise quite yet, but we talk about the three pretty big games that happened Thursday through Sunday. We talk the highly covered Spurs-Raptors games, a.k.a. DeMar Kawhi game, a.k.a. DeMar Masai, a.k.a. Kawhi Pop game. And then we get into how the Raptors bounced back after that game. Before we get started, though, just a reminder to subscribe and follow us on Apple Podcasts and or Spotify, and then go find us on Twitter and Instagram at Take6. We've got a really good episode coming up here, and I hope all of you guys enjoy. Welcome to the Take 6 Podcast. So on today's podcast, we have a very, very special guest. He's one of my favorite basketball podcasters uh, and writers. He's from Locked On Raptors and Raptors HQ. It's Mr. Sean Woodley. How are you doing, man? I'm pretty good, Hunter. How's it going, man? It's going well. It's going very well. I actually celebrated uh, my second Christmas this year with uh, my girlfriend's family yesterday because they do the whole they do the whole Orthodox thing. Oh, so, yeah. Right. yeah. Did you do so, regular Christmas as well? Yes. Oh, yes. that's just like a double shot of, uh, of Christmas fun. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. So it was nice. I actually missed the missed the Raptors Pacers game last night. So I had to wake up kind of early this morning to watch that, which was all right. It was a uh, it was kind of disappointing to watch it because I, you know, the Twitter feed was kind of giving away how well they were playing and all that kind of stuff. But fun game anyways that um, is uh that's the challenge man is yeah. like if you can't watch it live i've kind of made it like a challenge for myself because sometimes i end up having to work during games uh because i work at mcmaster university doing like basketball stuff and like their games a lot of the times are, are on raptors game nights so my like challenge every single night is to like not look at my phone while i'm at work and just have the game on pvr come home and watch it without looking at my phone and I, I rarely accomplish it because my brain is poisoned and I can't stop looking at my damn phone. <laughs> but the nights that I do do it and I just watch the game without knowing the result after everything's happened, not looking at any internet, it is uh, one of the most rewarding things in the world. I can't recommend it enough, even though I can't really seem to accomplish it more. Like I'm, I'm, at, I'm batting like 40%, I think, probably when I, when I try to attempt to do it. Yeah, it's way better than I did. I made the mistake <laughs> of leaving my push notifications on from the score. Oh, no. So... Yeah, so I was getting the notification during dinner, and I had to, you know, once dinner ended, I looked at my phone once, and it was end of third quarter. I got the notification. I was like, oh, man, that kind of <laughs> – I just that just ruined that for me. But it's a good game, though. I mean, it's not it, like – Yeah. I don't mind watching a win at, when I know the result because it's still interesting to see what happens. A loss, like, it's just like there's this sense of impending doom that's encroaching every time you watch one of those games uh, after knowing the score. Uh, it's certainly a bummer. But a win, there's nothing wrong with watching a win on loop. Yeah, yeah, and thankfully there's been more wins than losses this year. So when it happens, it's rarely a loss, which is good. Yeah. So to start off, I think we'll get into, I would say, the the biggest game, or at least the game with the biggest story and kind of biggest implications uh, this week, which was Raptors-Spurs, a.k.a. Damar Kawhi, or Damar Masai, Kawhi Pop, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. Uh I, I mean, there's not a whole lot to talk about in terms of the game itself. 
because it was just like horrible, an absolutely horrendous showing from the Raptors. Uh, starters and bench just kind of got trampled by the Spurs. So I I'd rather not talk about it. If you want to get into it a little bit, be, by all means. But I'll try to stay out of it. Yeah, I mean, the only thing to really say is that I think that's the game that I think the Raptors have missed Jonas Valanciunas the most. Um, and, like, the whole, like, thing where you've had Ibaka and Valanciunas playing as the two centers is that they've never really been in situations all season long when they're both healthy where they're playing against guys that they can't kind of punish in their matchup. And that when you have Serge Ibaka having to guard LaMarcus Aldridge, that just is not going to work. And, like, I don't know how well Jonas would have done against him, but I think he probably would have done a better job because I think Jonas has kind of slept on as, like, a really strong post defender. And a lot of what LaMarcus was doing to Serge was just, like, backing him down and being stronger than him. Um, so I think that maybe could have been mitigated a bit. But, yeah, that game was really hard to analyze, really hard to... Honestly, hard to be mad about, and I'm sure we'll get into the reasons why. Like, I wasn't too upset with it. It was just kind of a game that happened where the Spurs really looked like they wanted it. The Raptors looked a little less uh, dedicated to the cause, I suppose. And, um, you know, the Raptors, I think, really missed Lowry and, and Valanciunas in that one more than they have in other games so far this year where they've both been out. Yeah, like you said, they didn't really get up for the challenge in that. And I think the biggest thing about that game was that it was kind of their most hostile environment and on the biggest stage i think it wasn't really just raptors and spurs fans that were excited about this game because mm -hmm. it was a big story around the whole nba i mean players were really upset when derozan got traded and everyone's been talking about Kawhi leonard on the raptors so it got a lot of media coverage which hasn't really happened to many raptors games not just this year but like over the years so they're getting a lot more negative reaction from that especially in the days after because, you know, it looked like, oh, they kind of don't want to play on the big stage. Back to the DeRozan Raptors playoff teams, which just simply isn't true. And you saw that with, you know, the Bucks pacers games. Yeah, that was like a weird, uh, like, reaction by people. It was like, oh, same old Raptors. It's the same team as it used to be. The DeMar Raptors, choke or whatever. And it's like, you realize that DeMar is not on the team anymore. He's on the team that is currently punking the Raptors in the in the high-stakes situation. It, none of it made any sense to me. <laughs> um, and, I, like, I don't know. I don't like to chalk up any sort of, like, mental deficiency to a team that's down both Kyle and Jonas in that game. Like, it just was a tough matchup, and they didn't play very well, and the Spurs seemed to really, really want it, um, and for good reason, I suppose. And so, yeah, I, I don't really, like, ascribe larger meaning to it because, like, like you said, they've played pretty damn well in some high-stakes games so far this year. They had the Warriors game where they easily could have lost that first Warriors game where it went to OT when, when Durant hit that shot at the end of the game. Uh, and, and, like, I was expecting them to lose it because they usually lose overtime games when there's, like, a, a, a stirring finish at the end. Um, and then the other Warriors game, they just came out and punked them on, on their floor without Kawhi. And, yeah, over the weekend, the Bucks game, the, the Pacers game, like, they've been really good in high-stakes games this season, and I'm not too concerned about, um, you know, their performance against the Spurs because guess what? They don't have to play the Spurs again in—I mean, they played them in the regular season, but it's not like they're running across them in the playoffs or anything like that. So uh, I, I wouldn't be too—I wouldn't be, like, quick to, like, ascribe some sort of grand— uh, flaw to the team just because they had that loss to the Spurs where you know, there was a little bit extra pressure, I suppose. They also have, you know, one of the, if not the best coach of all time in Greg Popovich, who is yeah. able to dismantle any team with any sort of weakness, which like we've been talking about, the Raptors have two pretty key injuries. So being able to go after the guys replacing 
Lowry and Valanciunas is just like textbook work for Popovich. So also with that being said, like it's not really a surprise that they were able to take advantage of those missing pieces and really dominate the, you know, the DeLon Wrights, Norman Powell's, all that kind of stuff who were trying to fit in. But we'll we'll get to the big story here, Kawhi DeRozan. And yeah. a big thing that was talked about going into the game and after the game is the response that Spurs fans are going to give Kawhi. And the the response wasn't necessarily shocking to me at the beginning, at least like where the, all the booze came in and, mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff, which I totally expected. I don't necessarily think it'll last for, you know, 10 years, but they kind of went overboard with the whole trader comments, like the whole <laughs> trader chance, all that kind of stuff. Just like, what do you, how do you feel about that? Cause I know, you know, Vince Carter, I'm kind of too young to have been around with Vince Carter. Like I was around, but I wasn't really cognizant of what was going on. So like, how do you feel the reaction? Like, did it differ from the whole Vince Carter reaction when he came back to Toronto? And all? Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned Vince because like this is the kind of the closest parallel I can think of to the Kawhi situation is the Vince situation, right? Where it was perceived by the fans that uh, Kawhi and Vince both kind of quit on their teams. I mean, Vince openly admitted later on that he like was like tipping plays and stuff to the other team by the end in, in Toronto. And he had the whole, I'm not going to dunk anymore thing. Like that was, uh, it wasn't pretty. There was a lot of blame to be had on the side of like Rob Babcock and the idiotic front office by the Raptors there too. Um, but you know, yeah, Vince kind of made his own bed in a way where it was, he was never going to get a, a, you know, a favorable response when he came back, at least not right away. It took like 10 years for them to kind of bury the hatchet. Uh, I think people remember back a few years ago when Memphis came to town, they kind of had like the tribute video and the burying of the hatchet ceremony, essentially. And Vince, you know, got a standing ovation and he cried and it was beautiful. And it's been kind of good ever since. I think that will eventually happen with Kawhi, but I'm not shocked of, of the response. A, Spurs fans are like a special kind of crazy. And like anyone who is on Raptors Internet uh, and was like tweeting negative things about the Spurs or Spurs fans or, uh, you know, support of Kawhi or whatever on the night of the game, you know, kind of became acquainted with the craziness of Spurs fans because they love their team quite a bit, maybe to a fault with the degree that they love their team. And like they it's all they have. Right. It's their only pro team. And they felt really jilted. And like, I guess there's got to be this sort of like sense of entitlement that gets built in when you're as good as you are for so long and you have so much success, like, it, it can, I, I can see why they'd be like, why would he ever want to leave us? Like, what's wrong with this guy? It's obviously his fault, not ours. And they're not really putting any blame on the Spurs. But, like, I don't know. The, the Spurs weren't blameless in all of this. They said, had some weird stuff come out in the media where they were talking about Kawhi, uh, his people. Uh, you know, I, Tony Parker saying my injury was way worse than I played, whatever. Um, like, there was a lot of strange stuff going on. Obviously, the medical staff seems to have let down Kawhi in some way. Uh, and the way Danny Green has talked about him being mis- misdiagnosed last year, too, leads me to believe that this wasn't just like a Kawhi wanting to go to L.A. thing. I think it was a Kawhi wanting to get out of San Antonio thing more than anything. And I can see why that would jilt the Spurs fans who are used to their team being just sort of the crown jewel of the league. So it's got to be a bit of an adjustment. Uh, so I'm not surprised that they were uh, pissed off and that they booed and that they had really bad chance. Like, Trader, like, that was just like so... 
thirsty and lame and sad. Like, a cool chant MVP for DeMar. That was cool. That warmed my heart. I was really happy to see that, actually. Um, but And, like, boo all you want and, like, do all the dumb chants you want. But when you go trader, you're you're fringing – you're coming into the territory. You're, you're on the fringe of, like, becoming Celtics fans with, like, daddy isn't ha- – or daddy's always happy with Gordon Hayward or, like – whatever chance Bill Simmons is trying to get the team to, or the, or the crowd to say on an, on an annual basis or whatever. I mean, read David Roth's piece about this, by the way, at Deadspin. It's fantastic about all the weird chants that Bill Simmons is trying to get uh, Boston Celtics fans to say at games in the playoffs. It's just like mind blowing stuff. Um, and, and Spurs fans like kind of have that corny level where I, I didn't, I'm not surprised that they were corny with it. And like, I think it will continue. I'm sure. I mean, if Kawhi stays in the East, he's not going to play there very often. If he goes West, obviously a different story. But, um, like, I think eventually because of what he did for them, I mean, two defensive player of the years, was nearly an MVP twice, won the title, obviously, finals MVP, shut down LeBron, all that stuff that we know we did with San Antonio. I just, like, there's no way it's going to last forever. He's done so much. Like, I think he should have his jersey retired by the Spurs at some point. Because of what he did, I mean, he, like the the resume is incredible, and even in just a short amount of time, like seven years, like what he did there is incredible. So I think we'll probably see something similar, where ten years from now there will be some sort of burying the hatchet ceremony, where it's like, all right, yeah, it was bad when it happened, but you know there was fault on both sides, and everyone's kind of an adult now, and uh, maybe we can just kind of accept that Kawhi's path, like it it it's, it began in San Antonio, it wasn't where it ended, but that's fine. He did some great stuff with us, and yes, we regret how it all finished. Maybe. Kawhi regrets how it finished. Maybe he comes and expresses some sort of regret, although he doesn't really strike me as the type to do that. Um, but just uh, I think 10 years from now, this won't be like a thing. I think it'll be very similar to the Vince situation in Toronto. I hope that's how it plays out. To me, if he ends up going to LA, it'll seem more like that was his whole intention and he just wanted out of San Antonio. And that might be what keeps the Spurs fans really mad at him and continue the booing and maybe the traitor chance for a few extended years. But if he stays in Toronto or goes to a different team that isn't LA, then maybe just maybe they'll be able to get over it and be like, okay, well maybe we are in the wrong and mm-hmm. potentially the, the trainers and, and the GM and pop and, and Tony Parker and all that kind of stuff did cross the line a little bit and, it's not a good way to treat a star player like that, especially when you're such a spoiled organization like the Spurs have been. And I'm talking more about the fans when I say that. You've had Tim Duncan, who played with the team forever, and Ginobili Parker, who really played with the team forever and very selfless players. And now when one person kind of wants to do their own thing and help themselves, it's as if they're the most evil person in the <laughs> entire universe, which I don't think is right. Uh, and then to talk about his game a little bit, I think it was more, it was underwhelming to me, especially after what he did to the Jazz two nights mm-hmm. before. He didn't play bad by any stretch of the imagination. He was very efficient, 8 of 13 shooting. He just didn't really get the ball all that much. And I think the big part of that was Fred Van Fleet. Uh, yeah. And then DeMar DeRozan kind of had uh, a coming out party, his first triple double, which was. Very fun to see. I really enjoyed watching DeMar kind of on all ends of the court doing what he does best. Showed how good his playmaking is. And to me, I think that game really showed that the the Raptors are missing that extra playmaker. If there's one thing that they need, it is that extra playmaker, especially with Lowry out. And 
Yeah, I, I mean, Kawhi played awesome. DeMar played even better. I think DeMar will probably do a little bit better when he comes to Toronto just because there's that much more. He's probably more comfortable playing in Toronto, to be honest, than San Antonio yep. at this point. Have you seen any switches in DeRozan's game since going to San Antonio and being in a more structured system with Pop? Uh, I think it's just kind of like he's doing uh, like a more extreme version of what he did last year where he was essentially the Raptors point guard for most of the time because they just had Kyle hang out off the ball. It was part of their Kyle preservation, you know, uh, plan, I think, to just not have him great all the time. And also it's just the best use of those guys because DeMar is better with the ball in his hands, right? He's kind of like uh, a less like athletic and more, I guess, willing to shoot version of Ben Simmons in a way because like he is always going to be at his best with the ball in his hands because without the ball in his hands, he's just not a threat. And no one's worried about, you know, DeMar taking a catch and shoot three. He's shooting like 17% from three this season. Like that's not something teams are worried about. Um, so it just made a lot of sense to have him be the creator. And because he's become such a better playmaker, you know, that worked out really well for the Raptors last year. And it's continuing to carry over this year with the Spurs. And I'm not entirely surprised that, you know, given the injury they had to DeJounte Murray at the start of the year uh, and Derek White was out for a long time as well, too. Like, they just didn't have uh, anyone to kind of be the shepherd of the offense. So it was like, all right, DeMar, go ahead and just do what you did last year to a greater extent in San Antonio. And he's done that. And it's I'm not surprised that it's looked really good. Um, you know, his defense is still DeMar's defense. It's whatever. Uh, he's just like, he's not blowing me away with like great like people are talking all about like oh man look at this like advanced playmaking by demar it's like he had this last year like this is not new so i'm not stunned by it at all i think it's maybe people just didn't watch him very much last year that are kind of seeing it now but like it, it's it's always been there for him it's been there for like two or three years now where he's just been one of the better playmakers going and he's just continued to improve it he's got the skip passes down all this stuff uh he's good good in the pick and roll and you know he can kind of make all the passes you need to make as a go-to ball handler and he's been really impressive. So, no, I'm not, like, surprised with how he's played or anything like that. I just think it's sort of the natural progression of what he was doing last year and just sort of in a just sort of a more pronounced role. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's safe to say that this game was a little bit underwhelming in terms of gameplay. And at least on the Raptors side of things, they got outplayed in pretty much every aspect of the game. But how they bounced back was a way more important show of what this team is actually about and how good this team is right now and how good they're going to be when playoff time comes because they played the Bucks, which were probably one of the hottest teams in the NBA as of right now, even with that loss to the Raptors. They have probably the MVP this year, mm -hmm. and then they played the Pacers and whooped them as well. Uh, in a back-to-back -back. so I guess we can start with the Bucks game here they didn't have a particularly great start to the game at least from defensive point of view which is kind of where the Raptors have been thriving without Kyle Lowry and the Bucks got off to a really hot start so my like, biggest key takeaway from that game was how they were able to stay in it while the Bucks were just throwing shots up from beyond the arc and, and hitting pretty much every one. And a lot of teams, even the best of the best teams, haven't been able to stay in games with the Bucks when they're hitting on all cylinders like they were. So the Raptors being able to do that was my biggest takeaway. Like there's a few other things that, that I liked as well. But what did you find with that game? And what was most impressive to you? 
I think just the starters looked really, really good and crisp, and that was like their best ball movement game, I think, for the starters without Kyle that we've seen most likely. Uh, I thought Fred, you know, we talked about Fred on Thursday against the Spurs. Like he was like really bad and over dribbling and just dribbling, dribbling the ball. Like Corey, it's kind of like Corey Joseph, really. We're just like he was just pounding the ball into the ground for, you know, 12, 15, 18 seconds every possession. And it was just killing the Raptors flow. That wasn't the case in this game. And he was, uh, you know, I think him and Siakam kind of both shared the role a little bit there. But, you know, Kawhi obviously had six assists in the game as well. And it was just a really great, like, across-the-board effort from the starters to fill in for, like, a really porous bench performance. Outside of Norm having four assists, like, there was no production whatsoever from the bench. And the starters had to be as good as they were. And I just, for me, my biggest takeaway in terms of, like, what this is going to mean for the season at large is, like, that bench unit, I mean, in that game, they were like a plus 43 net rating or something like that. They like they scored like 149 points per 100 possessions, uh, defended pretty well as well, and like completely blitzed the, the Bucks when they were on the court for 26 minutes, mind you. Like Nurse rode that lineup for a ton of minutes in that game just because he had to. Um, but for me, that kind of lends to the idea that when Kyle Lowry's back, and he's back now, obviously, he played against the Pacers and looked pretty good. Like Kyle Lowry coming back, Maybe there's a way in which I'm not saying start Fred Van Vliet. That's not smart. But if you start Kyle and then bring him out a little early in the first quarter and put him with the bench unit, like you've seen enough with the starters and Fred that it, there's reason to think that can be successful over the course of the season because it's I think it's been 160 minutes now for that unit. They've played together and they're scoring like 1.2 points per possession. Like they're they're being they're, they've been excellent offensively. They have a pretty good defensive rating as well. They're like a plus 13 net rating as a lineup over 160 minutes is the second most used lineup. So seeing you know over the course of a full game that they could stick with the Bucks and take it to the Bucks kind of lends me like, kind of makes me excited about the prospect of like reuniting Kyle with the bench to start second and fourth quarters and hopefully that can kind of paper over what's been the Raptors biggest weakness this far this thus far this season is like the lack of continuity and production from the bench and you know obviously it's been difficult because there have been different guys cycled in and out Norm was hurt then he was back and then he's playing well um, you know CJ started the season kind of getting a lot of rope and now has become a DNPCD most nights um, you've had Monroe you've had Abaka you've had Valanciunas all playing center in that lineup like it's been very inconsistent as opposed to last year but if you have Kyle as sort of the shepherd of the second unit when he's out there uh a you're kind of staggering him and Kawhi so there's never a bad player or never a, a star not on the court and then you always have Kyle with the bench which has always been successful over his entire run with the Raptors that for me from that Bucks game is kind of the biggest larger scale takeaway is like we've seen the starters be really good maybe this means when Kyle comes back he can help make the bench less bad and then that you're just looking at a team that's going to be good for 48 minutes a game ideally you're in the position to be good for 48 minutes a game which maybe hasn't been the case for the most part this season yeah I really like that whole staggering Kawhi and Kyle Lowry thing they did that for the first time against the Warriors you mentioned the game earlier where Durant hit that crazy shot at the end of the game and it looked really good, to mm-hmm. to be honest. And then they started doing it more and more as the season played out when tougher games kind of came into their schedule. And it does make a pretty big difference in terms of the bench unit because as we saw on Saturday, the bench, I hate using the word horrible when I'm talking about the Raptors, but offensively, they were horrible. Like they couldn't do anything. Ball movement wasn't really there. And when they were getting open shots, they were missing them. They made one field goal. I don't. I forget how many they take, but one field goal is not enough for. They're like one of fifteen or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's not enough for you know twenty six minutes, which is 
kind of disappointing. But like you said at the beginning of your uh, of your little spiel there, was that this was a lot of there was a lot of ball movement and probably the most ball movement since Kyle Lowry was injured. And mm-hmm. I agree. And I think also their defense looked more put together than ever before without Kyle Lowry, especially with their guards. And I know Brogdon and Bledsoe aren't necessarily the most elite of point guards, but they can score. They There's a reason Brogdon won uh, Rookie of the Year, and they just played really well. Van Fleet, he showed why he can play some good defense, and DeLon Wright using his length a lot that game. And it just was really encouraging to me because even though they weren't necessarily playing good offensively, the defense was at least somewhat there for the bench unit. Mm-hmm. And in terms of ball movement, they did have 28 assists. And uh, I found this interesting too, was they had a lot of fast pace. So their possession time after rebounds was 8.8 seconds on average throughout that game, which is mm-hmm. two less than what they are averaging throughout the season. And I found that to be very encouraging because usually when it's just Kawhi out there with some of these other guys, Van Fleet, he kind of slows the the play down even after rebounds. So it looked like a, a good offensive rhythm that they got into there, mm-hmm. which, like I said, very encouraging to me. But the defense was definitely the most important part in those middle two quarters, the second and the third, holding the Bucks to, I think it was like 48 points. Yeah. And holding the best offense to 48 points in two quarters, especially with a guy like Giannis, is is very good. Yeah, the thing with uh, the way the Raptors defend the Bucks is, you know, very few teams have a lot of guys to throw at Giannis because not many guys in the league are like, you know, suited or like built to defend Giannis in any way. Um, because like, look at him, he's a freaking monster. He's seven feet tall and he's insanely fast and can get to the the rim from the three point line in a step and a half. Um, but the Raptors, more than most teams, have at least like guys who have a shot. Like, Kawhi is big enough, he has a shot. I think even Danny Green is big enough that he has a shot. OG has been, like, surprisingly good against Giannis in his career so far. Pascal did a pretty good job. Even Serge has done a good job against Giannis. And they're all kind of different looks, right? I mean, like, Siakam's more of a sort of poke-the-ball-free, more of an athletic, long, sort of springy-type defender, whereas OG's just, like, strong as hell and kind of get into uh, Giannis a little bit. You know, Serge matches him for size pretty well. Kawhi is, like, all of these things mixed into one. Um, and, and very few teams in the East that are going to potentially come across the Bucks in a playoff series have even, like, one guy who you, you can throw at Giannis and say, all right, maybe he can kind of, you know, stop Giannis from getting everything, right? And, like... It's weird to say they defended him well because he had 43 points and 18 boards. But, like, he, you know, they had a few possessions in transition where they just, like, completely shut him down. And to stop Giannis in transition is nearly impossible. Yet they did it. And it was wildly impressive to me. And if those little extra possessions where, you know, you're not letting Giannis be peak Giannis because just a couple possessions are, are just, like, scraping a little bit of that efficiency off from him. That can be the difference in a game like it was. They only won by seven points in that game on Saturday. Like those possessions and transitions mattered. In transition mattered. And in a playoff series, those little possessions where, you know, one of your guys, whether it's Kawhi or Siakam or whoever, is going to be able to make a, def- a defensive play against Giannis that keeps him from being peak Giannis. Like those are going to be possessions that swing a series potentially. And also, I don't mind the idea that they seem to be okay with him just like 
doing the LeBron thing, right? Where it's like, we're not going to send too much extra attention his way. Obviously, he's going to command help sometimes, but a lot of the time, we're just going to let Giannis be Giannis. And then if he's not kicking out to the shooters around him, at least we're limiting, into, limiting it to twos instead of threes. And, you know, that's... Uh, it's the impossible thing that was the the problem with LeBron, right? Is do you guard him uh, with extra help or you just do it straight up and hope he doesn't pick you apart with passing? And, you know, Giannis isn't quite the advanced passer that that LeBron was, but he's getting close. And if, I mean, the, the thing that's terrifying is like LeBron, Giannis hit three threes in that game on Saturday. And if he hits three threes, like that's just over. Like it's just game over and he's going to be the next LeBron. And that's just what it is. And there's nothing you can really do about it. And you throw your hands in the air and you tip your cap and say, congratulations, Giannis, you're now the best player on earth. But, you know, I think for the most part, he's not going to hit three of five threes in a game. And you're going to be able to sort of force him into those twos if you allow him to do it and, and limit the, the amount of just like ball swinging that that Bucks team really likes to get going. Um, it's, it's a fascinating defensive matchup. And like I can't like it's a terrifying series to think about because I don't know if the Raptors will win it or not. But it is a, uh, a fascinating one from a tactical perspective because both sides are like kind of, you know, the, the Raptors are kind of well-suited to go against the honest if you can be well-suited at all um but like it's still it doesn't really matter because like sometimes even if you are well-suited he's going to kill you um it, it's just it's a really interesting and the other thing too is like the bucks they are good on a string defensively like they have like the hawks thing going from a couple years ago where they're very good they're, they're they communicate well they're on a string but they're not like loaded with amazing one-on-one defenders and i think the sort of counter for the Raptors is like you just ISO more and you say, all right, Siakam, go punk Ursa Ilyasova. Like you can do pretty much every time you have the ball. All right, Kawhi, go against Chris Middleton because Chris Middleton can't stop you. Uh, okay, Kyle, like go blow by Eric Bledsoe because he's not the defender that he should be. I think the, the lack of one-on-one defenders is going to lead to it being a very interesting series where the Raptors have to maybe focus more on ISO and get away from sort of the, the free-flowing style that maybe people want to see them play and maybe go to a more ugly sort of vintage Raptors style of play that people might not be thrilled with, but it might be the best way to go against the Bucks team that, outside of Giannis, doesn't really have an amazing one-on-one defender anywhere. So uh, I'm just fascinated by that matchup, and I thought the Raptors pulling out that win was really impressive. Um, even though the Bucks were on a back-to-back, it wasn't really a back-to-back. It was a home back-to-back where they played the, the Hawks the night before, so like, it doesn't really matter. Um, and I don't think they were that like pooped or whatever going into the game. It was just a really great win for the Raptors. And I think there's a lot of sort of exciting things that if you're looking for a series, there's some advantages the Raptors can press uh, that that might be the edge that, that they need to beat them in a series. Yeah, and like you said with the Raptors defense on Giannis, I think it's pretty telling the fact that Giannis even took five threes and he had three three-point attempts late in the fourth, not necessarily late in the fourth quarter, but halfway through the fourth quarter where usually when Giannis has that confidence, he will be barreling down on you and probably dunking all over whoever's in the paint. And he didn't seem, not that he was shy about it, but he didn't really seem like he wanted to. And he was staying around the perimeter quite a bit, which is what he does anyway, so that he can get that full head of steam. But a few times in that fourth quarter, he just kind of stood up there and saw who was in the paint with Siakam and, and Kawhi, and the, those long arms are very intimidating um, with Siakam blocking him earlier and, and Ibaka blocking him earlier as well. But I think it was a very good sign with him pulling out and taking threes rather than kind of coming in and trying to dunk it on you because chances are Giannis is not going to hit three of five threes. And mm-hmm. if you give him three threes in the fourth quarter, that's way better than him coming in and barreling down on you and 
trying to get a layup because he's just so efficient in the paint. So I think we can move to the Pacers game now, unless there's anything else you wanted to add about the, the Bucks game there. No, man, I think we're good. I think we've covered it pretty well. Yeah, this was a bounce-back game for the bench. So there's kind of two bounce-back games here this weekend because the bench played so poorly on the bu- against the Bucks, And they came back, and they played extremely well. They came back with 52 points compared to the five they had versus the Bucks, which was very impressive. I think a lot of that is because of the confidence that Kyle Lowry brings to the team just by being out there and being able to touch the ball, actually. What did you see differently out of the bench in this game versus the game against the Bucks? I mean, they played with Kyle for a large part of it, which is big. Um, Kyle on the bench, as it turns out, it's always good, uh, as I alluded to earlier on. Um, and then, yeah, it was just like, uh, you know, DeLon was hitting his shots, and DeLon has been so feast or famine this season. It's really frustrating because I want him to be so good because he's so damn fun to watch. Um, so it's disappointing when he has rough games, but he was great last night when he hits his threes. It's kind of game over for whoever's up against the Raptors bench, because that's kind of a thing that can really swing things. And when he goes two of two, that's just like, it's hard to make up those points. It's like Sean Livingston hitting a bunch of mid range jumpers almost, right? Like it's just kind of this, like, you know, this little gap widener that becomes really hard to bridge. Um, and then Norm Powell, man, like he just looks awesome right now. Ever since he came back, he just looks great. He looks free. He doesn't look burdened. Uh, he's not doing too much with his game. He's not like, you know, overestimating his own talents. It's fantastic. I- I'm really enjoying uh, the Norm experience right now. And it's necessary considering how poor CJ Miles has been, but also necessary because like Norm signed for a long time with a reasonable amount of money attached to him for, for the next three or four years here. So um, like it's, it's necessary and crucial for the Raptors to have him playing well, either so he can be a contributing member at 10 million bucks a year or as a trade chip down the road. Like, it's massively important. So uh, that was a big thing too. And yeah, it just, you know, Greg Monroe, maybe just like the matchup against the Bucks wasn't really for him and maybe more so against like Kyle O'Quinn or whoever he was up against for the Pacers. Maybe that's better for him as well. Um, but like just playing with Kyle Lowry and having him out there just kind of opened so much more up. There was like the, the wonderful pick and roll play he had with, with Greg Monroe late in the game, I think at the start of the fourth quarter. Um, and just like Kyle just... Kyle raises all, everyone else's game. That's just what it, it's just how it is. Like his his gravity, his playmaking, everything just makes guys around him better. And you know, maybe it's just a coincidence that the bench played so well with him in there. And like maybe it's a coincidence, but like I don't think it is. I think it kind of uh, goes uh, along the lines of a long track record of of Kyle making the bench players better. And I hope we get to see that more often. Hopefully Nick Nurse has kind of realized like, yeah, I just got to go with this and stagger the stars and have this be our lineup. Um, shorten the rotation down to nine. Sorry, CJ, but like, that's just how it's going to be. And, uh, and sort of roll with it like this. Yeah. It's um, it's been a long time coming for Kyle Lowry to come back and he hasn't played with the bench really all, all season long either. So it was refreshing to see. And, you know, they hit a million shots last night too, right? I mean, this is kind of the thing I've been waiting for. The last couple of games, the Raptors have started hitting their shots. And, like, they've been creating good looks all season long. Nick Nurse has talked about it. And he thinks that the process behind their, their, their creation of open looks has been great. And they've just not hit threes at the clip that they're capable of doing. And, you know, last night it kind of corrected itself a little bit. You had DeLon hit the threes. You had Danny Green hit four threes, I think. Um, you know, and, and when those threes start falling, this team's going to be really hard to keep up with because – they should be a better three-point shooting team than they have been so far this season. So lots of factors came in for the bench yesterday, but uh, you know I think Kyle remains the biggest one. But the regression to the mean three-point shooting wise is also going to be huge, not just for the for the bench, but the starters as well. 
Yeah, that was kind of the biggest part of their game last night was the, I mean, the ball movement was fantastic as it usually is when Kyle Lowry's out there, but they had, they shot 51.5% on Sunday against the Pacers, which is outstanding for them this season. In December, they shot something like 28 and change from three, which is horrible, especially given the talent that this team has. They got a better three-point shooter in Kawhi Leonard. They have Kyle Lowry, who's a fantastic three-point shooter. Danny Green, fantastic three-point shooter. A lot of the bench should usually be able to hit threes, which thank goodness they did against the Pacers because, like you said, it is just so much more fun to watch this team when they're hitting threes. The crowd gets really into it, and everybody gets more excited. The bench loves when people hit threes. I I don't, I don't know what to say about the mid-range game, though, because sometimes it looks like they are... They're very lenient on that mid-range game when the three-pointers aren't hitting. I mean, is a very good mid-range shooter. Kawhi's a very good mid-range shooter. I'd rather see these guys step out and hit threes, or at least attempt to hit threes, because eventually they will drop, as we saw against the Pacers, that you're going to take the threes and they drop. It's, it's a very good game when they're hitting threes because they do have the shooters to do it, and practice makes perfect. I, I mean, these games aren't necessarily practices, but with a team with a practice schedule like the Raptors, some of these games, even against really good teams, they kind of are shooting practice because mm-hmm. they get such wide open looks. And the the mid-range game is kind of going away, and you're seeing that the only team that really does it is the Spurs, but they have you know, two of the best mid-range players in the game. So I uh, that was just one my concern with this Raptors team. It doesn't really go into play with the Pacers or Bucks games because they did shoot a lot of three-pointers, which I liked. I liked a lot, and... It's kind of depressing because when we were hearing kind of gremlins that Kawhi was going to come back for this game or he was going to come back to playing back-to-backs for this game with the Pacers. And then we heard that Lowry was coming in and I got really excited personally thinking, oh my God, like they're going to play together again. Finally, this is going to be the best best day of 2019. And that didn't happen. I, yeah. I don't know I about mean, you, but... Yeah, for me, like... I, I we'll probably get to see it against the Hawks first of all, so the yay. Um, like <laughs> you, you need that against the Hawks. Obviously, they're quite the, the challenging team. Just to go back to your mid-range point, like I don't know if I totally agree, just because I think the way the Spurs are very good mid-range shooters, like Kawhi and Serge Ibaka are two of the very best mid-range shooters that are like in the world. They're incredible, and a lot of times teams are just giving them those shots. Like Serge Ibaka is wide open for a lot of these pick and pop mid-rangers because that's what teams want him to take. And it's weird that teams want that because he's shooting like 60% from mid-range this season. And that is a very good shot. That is a high efficiency look that the Raptors should be wanting in their shot charts. So like, I understand sort of the the desire just for everything to be a three and to, you know, take those couple steps out and just take that shot. But for me, like I am just sort of, I wonder when the mid-range is going to become sort of a market inefficiency once again. And I think the Raptors are kind of exploiting that right now. And like, Teams are very willing to give up mid-range shots. That's just, that's just how defenses are organized right now. And I think the Raptors are taking advantage of having very good mid-range shooters taking those shots. It's not like everyone's taking those mid-range looks. It's like you're not seeing OG Ananobi pull up from 18 feet off a dribble, or you're not seeing Pascal or even Kyle Lowry really do that. It's the two guys in particular who are very good at it, who I think have the green light to take 18-footers because you know the coaching staff knows and the analytics say like that's a very good shot regardless of if it's two or three. Like Those guys, like it's essentially a layup for Serge Ibaka this season. I think he's shooting better from 16 feet than he is from three feet this season. I, I, that was true at least a, like a, a couple weeks ago. I'm not sure if it still is, but 
that has been the case for most of the season. Um, so for the Raptors, like I, I don't mind them taking advantage of that little soft spot in the defense that most teams allow because of those guys being that good from that area of the floor. Um, and as far as like Kawhi resting, like, yeah, it's disappointing, but I still think I don't think they were expecting to have him play 38 minutes in that game against the Bucks on Saturday. Like maybe it was necessary because you didn't have Kyle, but he had to come back in pretty early into the fourth quarter. He came in with like 8.40 left to play. That's like two or three minutes earlier than he normally would come in after his usual break at the start of the fourth. And like, it's a long season, man. And he's taken some falls recently. Uh, you know, a little couple limps here and there that I've noticed. And like, he's played through them, obviously, and been fine. But I don't mind taking it easy with him. And I do think the resting him in back-to-backs is coming to an end very soon. Like, he might not rest another back-to-back from here on out. I think the next one is next week against like Boston and Phoenix. So we'll see what happens there. But um, like it's coming, it's very, very close to him just playing every game and the conditioning seems to be getting back up there. And he's obviously got a lot of balance. He's thrown down some big dunks and stuff like that. Um, but like, it's disappointing, but I think people will be sort of rewarded for their patience with Kawhi because, you know, at the end of the season, it's tracking for him to be pretty fresh and healthy, having played like 70 games or whatever it is and not overexerting himself in a season one year after he played just nine games. I, I think it's the smart course. And also, I think it's really smart for the Raptors to be taking Kawhi's concerns about his playing time and his load to, to heart. Like, it, it's important. You're trying to sell this guy that you you care about his body. You're not just treating him as some, like, just, like, ro- robot to go out there and play basketball. Like, you're treating him as someone who needs to be managed well and taken care of. And I, I agree with that approach entirely. I think it's smart. I think it's the right thing to do if you're trying to sell him on, on being here long term. Obviously, he had some issues with the Spurs medical staff and how they, you know, respected and appreciated his body. Don't do those same things. Don't make those mistakes that led him to wanting out of San Antonio. Do the opposite if you can. And it seems like the Raptors are doing that and taking heed of Kawhi's concerns. So, you know, every time he rests, yes, it's disappointing to not see him play in the game. But overall, I think it's probably a win and a plus in terms of the grand scheme of like trying to, you know, pitch him on sticking around here long term. Yeah, I'm I'm not. I'm not mad with the approach that they're taking. I think it is definitely the smartest way to do it, especially with the injury that he had. It's pretty much a overworked muscle injury. So the approach they're taking is perfectly fine. And I, I just want to be able to enjoy Kyle Lowry and Kawhi Leonard playing basketball together again because they're so damn good together. And the team is just, I don't want to say so much better because they're still such a good team when either one of them is playing, but they're so much more fun to watch when both of them are playing because there's two very high level talents mm-hmm. on the court at the same time which is always fun no matter the team they've got a pretty easy schedule coming up this next week not a whole lot to talk about with those games so i think that'll do for the podcast sean thank you so much for coming on i i really appreciate it uh where can people where can people find you uh, you can find me on Twitter at Woodley Sean. You can subscribe to Locked on Raptors on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, all the regular podcast places. Uh, I sometimes do some hosting on TSN 1150 in Hamilton as well. I have a weekly basketball show on Tuesday nights. We're back tomorrow after a holiday break at 7 o'clock. Uh, just a half-hour show tomorrow because the Raptors game's on the station after. But uh, for the most part, we are uh, a an hour-long show every Tuesday night from 7 to 8. And uh yeah, I'm all, I'm on the internet. You'll find me somewhere. Just go to my Twitter feed, and you'll know all the places where I am. I have a Patreon page as well, if that's your bag. Um, so yeah, check check me out if you feel like uh, lots of niche and weird Raptors content. The Patreon page is the place for that. Um, and otherwise, just locked on Raptors and Raptors HQ. Yes, go check him out. His Twitter is a fantastic Twitter to follow if you like 
funny Twitter during basketball games because it's it's very good. I, I appreciate the, <laughs> the tweets there. Uh, well, anyway, Sean, thank you so much. I appreciate you coming on, and you're our first uh, real guest, so thank you for that. I, I'm honored to be, and uh, hopefully I can be on once again down the road. Absolutely.